This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. He was the ace of the Yankee pitching staff for 11 years and was named to the American League All-Star team five times. Called up in late 1964 and immediately made an impact going 9-3 and and helping the Yankees win the American League pennant. He led the Yankee pitches and wins seven out of his 11 big league years. In 1965, he led the American League with 18 complete games and 291 innings pitched. In 1969, he once again led the American League with 24 complete games as he pitched 303 innings. He would win 164 games over his 11-year career. He rejoined the Yankees prior to the 1996 season as the pitching coach. From the bench, he helped guide the pitching staff to four world championships. Ladies and gentlemen, escorted by one of his star pupils, let's welcome back, the good friend is Andy Pettit, let's welcome back Mel Stottlemyre. That TV clip was from 2015 when the New York Yankees had a ceremony for Mel Stottlemyre and then surprised him with the plaque in Monument Park. One of the great Yankee moments in recent years. Tough week for longtime Yankee fans. Mel Stottlemyre, of course, passed away this week at the age of 77 following a long, brave battle with cancer. You heard that John Sterling intro clip. Mel was on that first page when it comes to the all-time New York Yankee greats. Rest in peace to Mel Stottlemyre, one of my father's favorite players ever. Let's get into the show. If you're a loser, tune in and you'll be a winner. It's the Moranalytics Podcast. Talking Buffalo sports, Yankees, WWE, 80s music, and pop culture. And now, here's your host, Patrick Moran. What's going on, good people? How you doing? Welcome to episode 86 of the Moranalytics podcast, coming to you from the Anchor Loop studio in Bradenton, Florida, a very unseasonably cold Bradenton, Florida, by the way. I'm sure that's not going to generate much sympathy from my friends up north, but whatever. Today is Friday, January 18th, 2019. I am uh, Patrick Moran. (laughs) I forgot my name for a second. Are you serious? I did. Wow. Anyway, coming up on today's show... I'll be joined by Josh Barnett, the executive sports editor of the Buffalo News. Now, this is a guy that I've been working on getting to the Moranalytics podcast for quite a while now. 
sure. We will talk about his career journey and a lot of the stuff that I do with all my sports media guests, but I finally get a chance to talk on the record with the guy who was dead smack in the middle of an exodus of sports department veterans from the Buffalo News who took a buyout last spring for a variety of reported reasons. A variety of them. Wasn't just one. I've had some of those guys on this show since. Guys like John Vogel, Jerry Sullivan, and Bucky Gleason. Today, I get some perspective from the news side. We talk about that, the adjustments that had to be made on the fly, the struggles that came with it, some of the talented new additions that the Buffalo News has been able to recently add, including a few guys that have been on this show. Jason Wolf is one, and Lance Lazowski is another. They've both been on. I had good conversations with them. Anyway, we talk about that. And we also talk a little bit of wrestling stuff since we are both huge marks. It's a nice, candid conversation with a guy that I've really come to know and respect over this past year. I talk with Josh pretty regularly, and he knows that I'm a fan of many guys over at the Buffalo News, and that I'm also a big fan of many people over at The Athletic, which, by the way, I do get his take on The Athletic as well, but I'm friends with people over at The Athletic and other media outlets, including the guys that left the Buffalo News. Now, he doesn't try to sway my opinions on people and things, but yeah, man, I respect that. Good talk with him. After my chat with Josh, the Running With Joe returns after a month hiatus, featuring my buddy Joe, who at this point has almost single-handedly made this podcast carry an explicit rating on iTunes. Today, we're talking about his love for craft beer versus my love for cheap domesticated beer. Joe talks about some of the best Buffalo breweries. In fact, he power ranks his top five. He has a rant against Jim Stakeout, a take that I strongly disagree with, and I mean strongly disagree with. But hey, we each have our own opinions. We're entitled to them. Oh, yeah. (laughs) We also do spend some time actually talking Buffalo sports along the way, including talk on the Sabres' recent struggles. And then we spend some time chatting about the Bills, including hitting on if trading for Antonio Brown is something that Bills GM Brandon Bean maybe attempting to do, or if it's something that he should be trying to do. All that, much more. I got two packed interviews today, so let's just get right down to business. Here's my interview with Josh Barnett of the Buffalo News, followed by The Running With Joe. Okay, my guest today is the executive sports editor of the Buffalo News. Joining the newspaper in 2017 after five years at the USA Today and nearly a decade before that at the Philadelphia Daily News. He's also a wrestling guy, and we're totally going to hit on that, whether he likes it or not. I'm talking about Josh Barnett. What's going on, Josh? How you doing? Hey, Pat. Thanks for having me. And and before we're done here, I, I hear we need to hit on, uh, I need some recommendations for wings. I, I hear you're, you tore around on Wingstop. So I had to, <laughs> I had to get some, I, you know, being relatively new in town, I, I think I'm missing some of the uh, lesser known spots. I got you, man. And I'm going to give you a couple spots that not everyone else talks about. I'm not going to give you the same old cliche spots that everybody likes to hit on. We'll get to that near the end. Let me start here though. All right, Josh, you grew up in White Plains. What was that like for you growing up there? 
you know, it was fun for me. I mean, I was always a big sports guy, you know, right outside the shadow of New York City. You know, my parents were commuters in and out on the on the train through Grand Central Station every day. And so, uh, you know, I knew that I wanted to be in our business really young, like seventh, eighth grade. And it was just kind of a question of what form that would take. And obviously, our business is a lot different than it was last year, let alone that long ago. So, um, you know, for me, you know, sports was a big part of what I wanted to do. And, um and, you know, that's kind of sort of led me to the path toward journalism. You know, this is, you know, I, I always tell people I'm really fortunate because not everybody gets to do what they want to do when they were a little kid. And I've been able to do it for 20 plus years now. You were just a kid. So even as a kid, you knew that sports journalism was something that you grew up wanting to do. Yeah, you know, I was the guy who would like watch the NBA All-Star game and like, you know, keep track of the, of my own little scorebook at home while I was watching on TV and see if I could keep the stats right. I always <laughs> I always joke that one of these weird the odd timing of it all was that we were like out on July 4th um at like a pool uh, in the community and I had my scorebook with me and I turned the radio on to listen to the Yankee game because that's what we usually did. We usually had the Yankee game on the radio when we were at the pool. So I broke out my scorebook and figured out, ah, you know, I'll do a couple innings and I'll, you know, go in the pool and whatever else. Turns out that was Dave Rigetti's no hitter. Oh, wow. That was on July 4th too. Is it 1984, 85? I remember that. I don't remember the exact year, but I do remember that no hitter. Yeah. I would have been about like 12. <laughs> Yeah. Who were a couple of your favorite players growing up? So the funny thing about it was, you know, my dad's from uh, the Bronx and grew up in Pelham Parkway, pretty much right right outside Yankee Stadium. So, you know, we were always more of a more of a Yankee leaning home than than otherwise. You know, my grandmother lived with us when I was younger and she had grown up in Brooklyn. Um, so obviously she had kind of that Dodgers bent uh, from back in the day. So she was more toward the Mets because she, you know, hated the Yankees. So, um, you know, sort of like that, that old style Yankees group. And then, you know, the other thing that's kind of another one of those oddities was I always like to be a contrarian. And so I remembered in fifth grade, they did a poll as to who do they thought, who people thought would win the world series, the Cardinals or the Brewers. And I was the only one in the class to pick the, pick the Brewers. So I, uh, for whatever reason, I started following the Brewers and the, those, uh, those early, early to mid eighties teams too. <laughs> That's funny. You know, my father was from the Bronx too, Washington Heights, same kind of same story as yours. Now you went to Syracuse for college. You came upstate here. That's hardly surprising. Pretty much. I think everyone in the world of sports media went to Syracuse, especially the people who work in Buffalo. I ask a lot of people the same question because I don't know. I just find it interesting. Why did you go to Syracuse and were there other schools that you considered or that you may have wanted to go to, but ultimately didn't? So I was actually really lucky in the sense that I had actually gotten a full scholarship to Pace, full academic scholarship to Pace University in White Plains right at home. And my parents were awesome about the fact that they let me turn down a full scholarship that would have cost them nothing to go to Syracuse. So I'm, I'm always indebted um, to them for that. But, um, you know, it, it felt like to me that, that Syracuse was kind of a given, um, you know, once I got in and was fortunate to get in and, um, was, uh, was lucky enough to, you know, get right into the major that I wanted, you know, sometimes there are some issues with, you know, having to move around different majors and whatnot, but I got in right away and, you know, I jumped at it at the daily orange. Um, I was the, I was a sports editor of the Daily Orange by the time I was a sophomore, which was kind of rare at that point. Sure. And then, 
you know, I ended up actually working at the Herald Journal back when Syracuse had two newspapers for a year and a half while I was still a student. So um, Syracuse had kind of given me the foundation. And, you know, the best part about it, I always say, is that as, as helpful as all the things you learn in the classroom were, you know, most of my training and most of the things I learned about how to do things the right way came from working at the Daily Orange and came from spending time on the road with, you know, the people who were the professional reporters at that time since we were just a college paper. So, um, you know, it was a, it was a great, Syracuse was a great experience for me. And, you know, I kind of had an opportunity to sort of grow up uh, a little bit, um, which I think was also necessary. And, you know, the best thing that happened to me is that I, I met my wife in college. So, um, I will always be indebted to Syracuse for that. Yeah, that's really cool. You worked the region after school for a while. First big gig comes in 2004. You joined the Philadelphia Daily News as a sports editor, and then you later would become the executive sports editor. How did that opportunity there come about to join the Philadelphia Daily News? I mean, that that's a big newspaper. So actually, I started there in 99 working on the copy desk. That was my oh, my wow. first entry entry into that point. So um, and it was a little bit crazy because I was 27 years old. The gap between my age and the next youngest person on the copy desk, sports copy desk there was 17 years. Oh, wow. Um, so I was the I was the baby at the end of the table, um, kind of learning my way. And, you know, again, being fortunate to be around really great people who knew what they were doing and, and were able to kind of bring me along. I mean, I always felt like I had the aptitude you know, in kind of the mind for, for what, what we did. But, um, you know, I, the one thing I tell young people all the time is put as many tools as you can in your toolbox. You never know when you're going to need them. And, and that was really a, a great experience for me. You know, the entry there for me was uh, when I was in Syracuse, the person who I worked with closely when I was an intern was Marcus Hayes, who's a columnist now for the Philadelphia Daily News. And he had introduced me to the executive sports editor at the time, Pat McClune. Uh, and, uh, and, you know, Pat and I uh, hit it off pretty well. And, uh, you know, thanks to Marcus's recommendation and uh, how things came together, I was able to kind of get my foot in the door. Uh, and then when the sports editor position opened up, uh, I was kind of the the choice. I had had some other opportunities and, you know, they were clear that they were kind of grooming me to be the next sports editor. And so when the opportunity came, uh, you know, I jumped at it. And at the time, you know, one of the things that was pretty cool was, you know, I had just turned, I was just around my 32nd birthday, which I was told at the time actually made me the youngest major Metro sports editor in the country at the time. Wow. What was it like living in the Philly area? You know, Philadelphia is great. I know having grown up in the New York City suburbs, um, Philly's just kind of a, in a lot of ways, it reminds me a little bit of Buffalo in the sense that it's it's a, a small, it's a big city with a small town. Obviously, Buffalo is much smaller, but, um, you know, the, the vibe of just being able to, you know, actually drive your car in and out of the city and the different neighborhoods and, you know, the different, you know, South Philly and you know, we lived in kind of just outside of Northeast Philly and uh, so much to do as far as, you know, arts and the, you know, the, the museum, obviously, that everybody sees in the Rocky movies uh, is is awesome. Um, you know, and I was fortunate there in the sense that I kind of got to run the but in my time there, I got to kind of run the full boat. I mean, we had the 2001 NBA Finals the 2004 Super Bowl in Jacksonville that the Eagles lost to the Patriots. Mm -hmm. uh, we, we had, you know, the Phillies run and making the playoffs five years in a row and the world series against the Yankees in 08 and 09. We had a Villanova final four run. And then we had the, um, the Flyers making the Stanley Cup finals in the year they lost to Kane and the Blackhawks. So um, got to kind of, you know, have the full, the full range of experiences there, which, you know, was, was super helpful. And, and, you know, 
just thinking back on the crush of, you know, 45 days of, of baseball playoffs or whatever it was day after day after day. I mean, those are some of my fondest memories of the time there. Sure. Now, after that, you eventually went to the USA Today. First, you were in charge of sports magazines and non-dailies, and then eventually running the National High School Sports Digital Platform. Same question as before. How did that opportunity come about with USA Today? You know, USA Today was really remodeling its its entire sports operation and kind of for a time there, there was something called the USA Today Sports Media Group, which was sort of sports was broken off into its own, you know, its own entity with its own management structure. And um, I had known a bunch of people there through, you know, APSE, which is the Associated Press Sports Editors and other organizations. And I was looking for a chance to do something a little bit different uh, and obviously a chance to kind of test myself at a at a national platform. I mean, it's pretty amazing to think that when we started, when SMG started uh, back in 2012, I got there right before the London Olympics. I mean, our, our sports department had had 105 people in it just in sports. Um, you know, it's pretty incredible to think of of what what you can do with with that sort of number of people and the resources that we had. So it was an opportunity to kind of test myself and, and a chance to move into a little bit of a different venue. Something We had something in Philadelphia called Sports Week, which was a Saturday sports magazine. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they were, they were looking for somebody who could kind of bring some of what we did there into Sports Weekly, which was the weekly magazine that most people remember as Baseball Weekly, actually, from USA Today um, before it expanded. So my job was to expand it. It was just baseball and NFL at that point. My job was to kind of expand it more fully. And then um, and then the magazines and, and other publications was kind of an offshoot of that. Uh, you know, one of the coolest things that we did was we dropped a commemor- 164 page commemorative on Muhammad Ali the day after he died, oh, wow. actually. So um, uh, all I remember about that is that I, I think I we went 31 hours straight and I think I slept for an hour. Um, but we, we got, a, we had most of it done in advance, obviously, but, you know, we had to go through and, and clean it all up and working with two designers out of my, out of my kitchen. Um, you know, they were, they were remote. I was in my kitchen cause we, you know, with USA today, we all worked at different places. So, um, so that was kind of, you know, one of the highlights and for me, the high school thing was, was sort of a, a situation where, um, I had shown some success on an aptitude on the business side of running the magazines. Cause I was not just running the, the editorial, um, and believe it or not, USA today's biggest sponsorship and advertising, product uh, at the time was tied to USA Today High School Sports, um, not just sports, you had biggest advertising product across the board or sponsorship across the board. So they asked me if I would go over there and, and help a little bit uh, as far as kind of what I was trying to do there. And and uh, we had some good growth and, and you know, it, it was fun. Uh, and and it also because uh, it also allowed me to move back to upstate New York. So because we were we were all remote at that point. Sure. My guest today. Josh Barnett, executive sports editor of the Buffalo News. What led you to the Buffalo News? So we were living in Rochester. My wife's from Livingston County. And, you know, I had kind of moved her trapster all around, all around the Northeast for like 20 years. And she was like, okay, time to go home. Um, and I was like, all right. So we were in Rochester. Um, you know, uh, I was always concerned about kind of getting pigeonholed doing one thing um you know i was i had done like i said earlier you know all the major pro championships and the olympics Mm -hmm. and now i was kind of you know even though i was at a national outlet outlet i was the high school guy and and i always was concerned that that you know would be something that i i needed to kind of make sure people knew that i had uh experience beyond 
beyond high schools. And uh, so, you know, the opportunity opened at the Buffalo News. I kind of put my name in and sort of just saw what, see where it would go. Uh, wasn't necessarily sure that that I was the person they would want, uh, given you know, what I had done, but, um, or where I was, but, uh, you know, it came together. It was a, a fairly lengthy process, um, but it, it came together nicely. And it was a chance to, number one, it was a chance to be back in the newsroom. I mean, when you're remote, even though you're connected virtually to everybody, you, you know, you sit in a room by yourself, really. Sure. It's um, not the same, I would imagine. Yeah. And, and it was a chance to kind of do the, you know, soup to nuts, you know, the whole, um, the whole, you know, high schools and rec stuff and colleges and pros and the, and the whole thing. And obviously, you know, our, our organization certainly has a, a great reputation for sports coverage built uh, on the backs of a lot of people over the last number of years. And, and it was a chance to, to be part of that. And also a chance to bring some of the things that I had done elsewhere, or some of the things that I'd learned along the way to, uh, to this market. So I'd be remiss if I had the executive sports editor of the Buffalo News on, and I didn't at least address what happened in the sports department last year? I, I would get completely fried by my listeners. In the spring of last year, several big name, at least big name by local media standards, exited the Buffalo News in a very short time for a variety of reasons. I'm not going to get into the who or why of it all. Everyone has their own version. And plus, that's old news now. Everybody has moved on. What I do want to ask you is this. Losing that many people in a short amount of time couldn't have been easy Looking back at that time, how difficult was that tumultuous period and how big of an adjustment did it become, which I assume had to become one with many adjustments on the fly? Yeah, I mean, the one challenge about it is that you can't say, OK, we're going to stop publishing for a few weeks while we bring in different people. Um, you know, the, right. the content still comes out every day. Um, you know, the, the newspaper and the things we do on the web. I mean, I'm not going to lie. Obviously <laughs> it was a difficult situation for everybody involved. Sure. I mean, change is hard, change is hard at any, in any business. And, you know, our business is not, uh, immune from that. Um, and right now, as you see what's happening with ownership and various things in newspapers, I mean, it's kind of a change has kind of been the hallmark of our business. I think in a lot of respects, what made it more difficult was that this is something, you know, buyouts are something that hadn't really happened before at the news, right? Um, you know, I think there was this perception or this feeling that, um, things that were happening in other parts of the injury weren't happening in Buffalo and people didn't have to necessarily worry about it. I mean, I was in Philly for 13 years and we had five buyouts. I was at USA Today for five years and we had two and they just had another one last year. Um, you know, one thing I, I feel like I probably should say is because there's obviously various versions of what happened sure. depending on the people is that, you know, no one was fired. <laughs> Anyone who left could have been there today. Uh, still had they wanted to, um, right. you know, that doesn't necessarily mean they would have been doing the same thing. We felt like there were adjustments that had to be made in roles, uh, as we're going forward, as we looked at what the future held for us. And, you know, one of the things that I think nobody, we don't get any credit for, and I'm not saying we should, but I'm just saying one of the things that I, I'd urge people to think about kind of, if they step back is that we told people, your role was going to change during a period when they could make a decision that was appropriate for them and their family, as opposed to saying, yeah, everything's fine. And then three months later saying, okay, you don't do this anymore. You now do this. You don't do this anymore. You now do that. And they would, they would have been, have been relatively stuck in terms of that they could have, they would have had a, you know, they could have left certainly or resigned, but obviously in this scenario where they took the buyout, they got a, you know, financial package and benefits and a chance to kind of reset, reset their, 
their lives and, and make a, an opportunity, you know, decide what the next thing was for them. So, um, you know, I, I think a lot of it really, a lot of it really was, was um, tied to the fact of how people, how the folks at our place were so unfamiliar with this kind of thing. I mean, you know, Jay Skirsky will pass 10 years at the Buffalo News, uh, you know, in the coming months. And for all 10 of those years until recently, he was the lowest person in seniority in our department. Yeah, I mean, that's a great point. It was a big perception. And to be fair, I think a big misperception that when all this was happening, all of these big name writers from the Buffalo News left, a lot of fans thought that the Buffalo News Sports Department was finished, that it was dead. Again, very unfair, as the department did have, still had many skilled veteran guys, guys, especially on the Bills side, guys like Vic Carucci and Mark Gaughan and Jay Skirsky, and you still had Mike Harrington on the hockey side. So plenty of veteran talent, to still name a few. But again, all that goes down and the general consensus among the public, among sports fans is, yo, the Buffalo News is in big trouble, if not finished. You know what I mean? Yeah, and I mean, some of that was because the company made a decision to allow the people to uh, handle their departures in the way that those folks saw fit. I mean, the company... The company to this day has actually never <laughs> really issued any sort of a statement or we haven't written a story or any of those things. And, you know, you can take both sides of whether that was the proper way for the company to handle that. But um, it, it kind of came out as sort of like this, this sort of like drip, drip, drip. Because each person was, number one, not everybody left on the same day in terms of when their paperwork was processed and whatnot. Right. But but everybody was everybody was able to kind of make their own announcements in 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 their own terms, and that's perfectly fine. But but I think that fueled some of some of that. I mean, my position from the outset on this is that basically I had two roles in this. One was to support the people that had decided not to take the buyout and that we're still on the staff and still, we still were expecting to do, you know, good work every day, um, you know, help them kind of work through whatever, whatever they, their concerns were. And the second part was to look at what are the things that we needed to do to move forward. Um, you know, we started making inquiries right away in terms of, of hires and, uh, all that kind of stuff. But I mean, you know, my, what I tried to do was just put my head down and keep working. Right. Um, you know, every day we had to focus on who, what we wanted to be and not what we were. That was the new reality. And how are we going to get to the point where we wanted to be and who are the people that we're going to bring in to help us get there? And that's kind of how we tried to do it. Yeah. And you've been able to hire a few talented staffers through this all recently. Jason Wolf's doing a good job with enterprise writing and a variety of other things. Lance Lazowski is covering the Sabres now. Both have been on this podcast before. I really enjoyed having them both on. Rachel Lindsay's doing college and high school stuff. I haven't had a chance to talk to her yet, but I hope to. She's done a really good job. I've enjoyed her work. I read a lot. I'm a big high school and college fan, and there's not a million outlets like there are with the Bills and Sabres. So I kind of rely more on people like her when it comes to that type of stuff. So you have been able to get do a good job. And now it's just a matter, I think, of, of sports fans getting to know these people more over time. You know what I mean? I think that's a big part of it. It's just that the fans knowing somebody. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, there's no question. I mean, I think they'll become more familiar to um, to the readers as we go. I think they'll become more 
uh, they'll become more familiar with this area. I mean, there's no doubt that we lost a significant level of institutional memory, if you will, of sure. just kind of being able to file back into your mind and remember something um, or, you know, how this happened or what have you. So um, there's no question that's a that's a uh, an area that we need to address. But, you know, they're all working really hard. Just a few others to mention. You know, we've Steve Trotsky is our deputy sports editor who we've brought in. Jonah Bronstein, who many people know from other outlets, is oh, yeah. uh, working digitally on high schools for us. Uh, we've also changed a number of, of different contributors. Travis Yost from TSN has come in and is doing analytics on the Sabres for us. Bill Hoppy, who another name that people are familiar with, has been covering the Amherst and Sabres prospects. You know, Jim Kubiak. Uh, another familiar name is, you know, did a lot of Josh Allen work for us. So uh, we're, we're kind of, you know, put, putting it together and trying to put the team together that we feel comfortable with and will kind of lead us into the into the future. And, you know, there, we're, there are challenges every day in, in our business. Uh, and, and our goal is to try to be the best we can uh, every single day and, and satisfy the sports fans of Western New York and the Buffalo area and, and just keep keep pushing forward. I mean, I always tell people that we have the simplest philosophy, come up, take what you cover and come up with the most interesting thing you can today and then do it again tomorrow and then do it again the next day. <laughs> yeah, that's very true. So I said that I didn't want to spend a lot of time talking about people that left the Buffalo news and things that happened at the Buffalo news last year, because a it's already happened and B what really went on. I guess it depends on who you ask, because everyone's going to have a different version. Plus it's all water under the bridge. Everybody's moved on. And I feel like it's better for it, but I will ask you this. What is your take on the athletic setting up shop this past year in the Buffalo market? Because at least when it comes to sports without question, the athletic is direct competition to the Buffalo news. What's your take? Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, a few things. Number one on that is that anytime there is an outlet offering well-paying jobs for sports writers and editors, uh, I'm all in favor of that. Uh, I think anybody in our industry who doesn't recognize that more jobs is is a good thing is just being really short-sighted. Uh, I've got a number of friends from Philadelphia, a number of friends from USA Today, and obviously from here who work there, and and obviously you know the opportunity for them uh, and people who do what we do to continue to feed their families and you know, all that good stuff is, is significant. So, um, you know, in the larger picture, that's, you know, I, I'm all in favor of that. Uh, you know, I've worked everywhere where there's been competition. I mean, Philadelphia was a two newspaper town, despite the joint ownership USA today, we were competing with, you know, ESPN and Yahoo and everybody else. So sure. competition to me is, is a good thing. It's not a bad thing. I mean, the high tide kind of rises all boats, you know, if the athletic or Syracuse or Rochester or TV has something that we want or that we should have, you know, that's not on them. That's on us, period. You know, we have to, the expectations are that we have to be able to answer the bell and get the stories. And if we can't, that's, that's our, that's our problem. It's not because there's more competition. So, uh, I mean, I don't, um, you know, it's kind of, kind of where I land on that. I've said it several times throughout this entire process, whether it is somebody from the Buffalo news or someone from the athletic that I've had on this show. And I've had plenty of both because I'm fans of both. I think the real winner in all this is always going to be the sports fan because I feel like competition breeds the best out of people. You know what I mean? You're going to work harder because you know there's competition. Whereas there's been a time, you know, throughout the history of Buffalo media, whether it was the Buffalo news or on the radio side, WGR, where it's a one newspaper town or a one radio station town. When you don't have any competition, 
don't want to say people get lazy, but I'm not sure that you necessarily get the best from them 100% of the time. And I feel like when things like this happen, it really pushes everyone involved on either side or all the other outlets too, to be the best. And I think the real winner in this is the sports fan. Agree. Completely agree with that. All right. You know what? Screw Buffalo sports and Buffalo sports media. I like you because in part anyway, because you're a wrestling fan. I am a huge wrestling mark. Many people didn't know this, but not only are you a wrestling fan, but you also do some writing for wrestling. Now pro wrestling insider PWI you're writing for. How did that come about? So I had um, the person who had been handling pro wrestling at USA Today actually left for Fox. He's now back at USA Today, but he had left for Fox and um, on the wrestling coverage appeared on For the Win, um, which was kind of our social media and social news uh, outlet. And he uh, uh, so that opened had an opportunity there. And I just decided that I was going to try to do it a little bit differently. Um, You know, his focus was more on kind of the stuff that you see on social media because that was sort of the. Uh, the point or the, the area that he was in, I wanted to do it more interview driven. And so I kind of just worked like, worked it like a reporter would uh, having been a former reporter and made phone calls and started talking to people and making connections. And um, you know, it was uh, uh, one of the odd things is that I, as a writer, since I was mainly an editor at USA today, I was a writer. I was on the first a one of USA today once and only once. And that was before and that was with a story about women's wrestling before WrestleMania a few years ago in Orlando. So, um, you know, the the folks, Dave Shearer and Mike Johnson at PWInsider.com, been, you know, huge supporters of my work at USA Today. And, um, you know, they knew that I was kind of in a different job that didn't necessarily allow for me to kind of do that. And they've been really open about, you know, if I have something to say or an opportunity uh, presents itself that a topic strikes me, then then go for it. So um, I always tell people that I have like the weirdest cell phone because it's a combination of like, you know, high school coaches around the country, wrestlers, you know, (laughs) reporters, you know, you know, just kind of like scrolling down and, you know, every now and then I'll be like, Oh wait, I have this person's phone number. Oh, you know, I mean, it's not like I necessarily, it's not like I'm texting buddies, you know, with, with some of the the people that I covered, but uh, in a lot of respects, but it's just kind of an oddity. Sure. I'm talking generalities here because there's always silver lining in things, but generally speaking, how frustrating has WWE been to watch over, say, the past three to six months? Because to me, it feels like it's really fallen off a cliff lately. Now, maybe you don't agree with that, but that's my take on it. I think it it's taken a step back in a lot of respects. I, I think the problem is just the consistency of it. And I wrote this actually for PW Insider a couple of weeks ago that one of the things that I think has been their issue is that um, even despite the fact being a, you know, 5 billion, you know, a, a what $5 billion market cap uh, on their value and all the people that they have worldwide, I almost wonder if they've continu- if they've just spread themselves too thin, um, you know, with five hours of live television every week, and that's yeah. certainly not going to change. Plus, you know, NXT plus NXT UK plus, um, you know, everything happening at the Performance Center and the recruiting that happens, plus YouTube, (laughs) you know, and on plus the WWE Network originals. I just wonder if there's uh, if if they've become uh, the challenge of coming up with new stuff has especially when the decisions are so centralized. And everything kind of has to go through that same funnel is just kind of led to uh, led to kind of the, the spark, the spark eventually dimming a little bit, if that makes sense. Sure, it does. And on the Raw side, how much do you think the illness to Roman Reigns threw things off? Because they were trying to get that guy over with fans for years and 
when and if he does come back, that'll be mission accomplished. It just sucks that it had to happen because he's battling leukemia and had to go away again. But it feels to me like his departure kind of made them rush a couple angles, so to speak, and just kind of threw things out of whack for me anyway. Yeah, I mean, there was no question when you lose the guy who's at the top, especially when you consider a guy who was on the road every week. Um, you know, some of the other top guys obviously aren't aren't doing in live events, but you know, he was on the you know the drawing card at a lot of the a lot of the live events and house shows. Uh, I think that was a significant factor. I think given the way they story plan, um, they had him tied to a lot of angles and kind of pre- prepared to work with a number of people. Then they had to kind of go to almost Plan B, and you know, when you go to Plan B at the top of the card, that means that you know, your semi main is on plane B and your mid card is on main B it, it is on plan B and it already, it all kind of trickles down. So I think to me, that's the, that was a, a significant, a significant factor. And I, and, you know, ultimately it, it's about continuing to try to develop character characters. I mean, you know, I watch a lot of ring of honor um, and obviously, you know, I watch some new Japan and, and some of the other stuff that's out there. And um, they obviously are, are more focused on ring stuff and less focused on storyline, whereas WWE in a lot of respects is the other way and i think they try to kind of they've sort of tried to toggle a little bit i mean the match between almas and mysterio on tv the other night was a a great example of a great match that didn't necessarily have a huge story behind it sure um at least at this point although i expect that will the story will kind of develop now but i kind of just feel like that was a situation where um they they were kind of because of the way they operate, they were kind of in this hybrid role. They didn't have the storyline development and, you know, they, they then had to try to pull out some hot shot matches just to try to get through. And, and that kind of, you know, left them in this little bit of a, uh, downturn. I never thought in a million years I'd be saying this, but for me right now, the women are kind of saving WWE for me. And if it's Becky Lynch and Rhonda and Charlotte flair, they're the ones who got me wanting to tune in each week. More than anything, not much saying this to like, like sound like a sexist or anything, but women wrestling never did too much for me. But now, right now, at least I'm all in for them more so even than on the men's side. Maybe there's Seth Rollins or one or two other guys. But besides that, I'm more interested in what's going on with the women, because I think they're at least in my opinion, they're doing a fantastic job with that right now. Yeah, I mean, honestly, a lot of the reporting I did was maybe not a lot, but a a significant amount of the reporting I did was around the women's, uh, around the women's evolution or the women's revolution or whatever, whatever you want to call it. Um, And um, yeah, I completely agree with you. I mean, Becky Lynch is, is like the sweetest person ever. If you, you know, just chat with her Mm -hmm. on the phone and I'm glad she's having the success that that she's had and is able to kind of break out and and transcend some of what, what she was, yeah, what she was kind of handed to deal with. And, you know, I mean, I've probably talked to Charlotte five or six times over the last couple of years. And I mean, always just really impressed with the way she thinks about the business and how, uh, you know, how she sort of understands the role that she's in and the responsibility of, you know, having been a seven time champion. Um, so, uh, I, I just think that, that, yeah, absolutely. They've, uh, they've kind of carried the carried the ball, I think. And and I wrote this actually this week for PW insiders that I feel like that they, um, the challenge now is developing that secondary angle on the women, the, sure. the angles that aren't around the titles. Um, you know, I, I, you know, I'm pretty much on record that I hate this Mandy Rose Naomi thing because I just think it's weird. A step Don't make sense. Yeah. It, well, even if it, even if it made sense, the general construct of it is just kind of a step back in terms of the angle that it, the, in terms of the thinking, in my view, at least right. same thing with the Alexa bliss, you know, walk in, 
dressing room thing the other night and just not no reason for it. I mean, if you want to do these women are athletes and performers, I don't really understand why it has to, why they have to kind of take that, take the tack they're taking, at least in those particular cases. But, but oh, no I question. agree. Uh, you know, I think uh, the women are definitely, are definitely carrying the ball and, uh, and, you know, I hope they, I hope they can continue to kind of develop those, that, that next tier um, of talent so we can get some good storylines and aren't necessarily based around the belts. I think the women's tag titles and, you know, that elimination chamber style match, uh, I think will help that too. Yeah, I agree. And I also agree with you about Manny Rose and Alexa Bliss. Those angles felt like it was like the, the attitude era, like Vince Rosa wrote that or something. But that aside, overall, I think the women are doing a good job. Last couple questions here, and then I'll let you go. Not that I didn't like it, but were you a little surprised to see Braun Strowman yank from the title match with Brock at the Rumble this past Monday night and have Finn Balor take his spot? I hope this is a start of a of a good push for Finn and not just a decent match with Brock, and then he gets shoved right back down afterwards. You know what I mean? You know, I was surprised, but but I understand it um, because I think the the challenge, based on the way Braun's character is built, you know, if he's the monster among men and then he were to lose to Lesnar, which is what I expect would have happened, then what do you do with him? Um, right. You know, he's kind of run through everyone else, but if there's if there's you know somebody that he hasn't run through, then what happens? You know, what's his <laughs> what's his you know what's left for him? Whereas I think Balor presents kind of that David Goliath type match, and and I think that has the potential to be more interesting. You know, depending on what Brock's willing to give him, you know, during the way the, in, in the way the match goes, and you know, people expect you know the little guy to lose to the big guy, so I don't necessarily see that a loss significantly sets Finn Balor back if that's the way it plays. Whereas I think a a loss significantly sets Braun Strowman back. My question now is where does Strowman go? Strowman go heading into WrestleMania? I just don't I don't know what where he goes at this moment sure now well, by the way we've been talking exclusively about wrestling in this era you didn't become a wrestling fan yesterday or last year who are a few of your favorite wrestlers when you were growing up as a wrestling fan you know i mean i'm from the you know the the rick flair era i guess probably not the heyday of rick flair in the 70s because i was a little young but you know the rick flair version in the 80s and you know the early the early WrestleMania uh, groups. I mean, you know, I still think Savage Steamboat is the best match ever, followed by you know any of the Flair Steamboat matches, um, you know, from from the WCW era. So I mean, it, it's kind of in that group. Obviously, I always always was impressed with the type of entertainer that Dusty Rhodes is, and really excited to see what Cody can do with All Elite and and the Bucks there. Um, so I mean, I, I'm kind of from that sort of like early early nineties group, you know, the, the original, the original version of the undertaker. Um, and, and, you know, that kind of group. Okay. Last question. Then I'll let you go. Royal rumble is coming next week, which is the unofficial start. Actually, it is the official start of WrestleMania season. By the time we get there in early April, what direction do you think WWE ends up going with a few of the top matches? Like when you're looking ahead right now to WrestleMania, what are a couple of the top matches that you see happening? Huh. Okay. I, I think we're looking at Rollins and Lesnar as the, as the title match. I think Rollins wins the Royal Rumble. Um, and I think, I think Lesnar will be able to keep, keep doing WWE before he's flipped back over to UFC. Um, just the way things have happened with some of the UFC guys. So I think that's it. You know, I'd love to see Ronda versus Becky one-on-one, but given all the, the continuing social media chatter about the horsewoman stuff, um, you know, and Ronda versus Sasha and, coming up at the rumble it wouldn't surprise me if somehow this goes into a 
this goes into a horsewoman versus horsewoman situation. Great point. I actually, I hope that doesn't happen because frankly, I just don't. I mean, I love Baszler and NXT and obviously Ronda's, you know, made a huge impact. Um, I'm just not sure uh, Shafir and Duke are necessarily ready for a big WrestleMania match, given that they, you know, have only had relatively limited exposure, even in NXT. Um, and I'd hate to see, um, I'd hate to see that, you know, them having to hide those two. And, and that may be a little harsh, but um, I'm a little, I'm a little concerned that maybe those, the, the one group of four isn't necessarily ready just yet for that. Obviously two of them certainly are. So um, just, I guess that's a little bit of a detour there. Um <laughs> But, um, but yeah, I mean, I, so I think, you know, I think that's where they're going with the women. I, and actually that will impact to me what they do with the women's Royal Rumble match. I mean, I think Oscar obviously is going to still be the champion on that side, but if Charlotte gets roped into, uh, if Charlotte gets roped into the horse women angle, um, I think obviously she's there. And then Oscar kind of is looking for a challenger. I wouldn't necessarily mind seeing a Charlotte Oscar rematch over on that for the SmackDown women's title. I just not sure that's, that's uh that's where it's going to go i mean i think i'm not sure but it feels like we may see shane mcmahon versus the miz that this team is going to be short-lived and Mm -hmm. and blow up blow up quickly um so i could see i could see that that kind of a match um you know and then i think you'll see some of the other things that you usually see you know the the you know 42 guys in a battle royal and you know a seven man ladder match and whatever else in order to get everybody on the card who emerges um, who emerges as as the challenger for Daniel Bryan assuming he's still the champion of WrestleMania you know that's a great a great question i was thinking about this the other day you know I'd like to see it be Samoa Joe, but it seems like we're going to see Samoa Joe versus EC3 is going to be kind of EC3's first match in the, you know, in the, on the main roster. So uh, I think somebody else has to come out of that. Um, Really good question. Too early, a little too early. I think not quite sure where they're going there. Um, I also could see that we end up without a decisive winner of styles versus Brian at, at Royal rumble. And somehow this ends up being some kind of a four way match over on that side. You know, I, I mean, I, I wouldn't mind seeing a Daniel Bryan, Jeff Hardy match, actually, although I, I think they've done some version of that, but on TV, but I wouldn't mind seeing that. I just don't know that, that that's what the plans are. I'll tell you, I'm going to add one thing to these predictions and I hope you're wrong about the horsewoman, although that's a really good point. And that's why I said that I could see Charlotte. I could actually see Becky winning the championship from Oscar. I could see Charlotte winning the rumble. And then after weeks of teasing, is she going to wrestle Rhonda or Becky? She comes out and she ends up wrestling both. And there's your triple threat match. I don't know how they would do it with the titles, but you got the triple threat match that everyone thinks ultimately is going to happen. If it's not for the horsewoman angle where you got, Ronda is the is the Raw champ. Becky is the SmackDown champ. Charlotte challenging both of them in a three way. That's one way they could get there. At least, not sure that that'll happen, but that's right. the one way in yeah. my head that I thought of that they could end up getting there. Yeah, and the other, I mean, if they want to do just a one on one match, you could end up with Becky winning the Rumble, and then you get Becky versus Becky decides not to challenge the champion on her brand, but to challenge the champion on the other brand, and then you get great. that one on one match. Sure, that would be great. By the way, I've been oh, actually, thinking you know about what? Becky can't actually Becky can't win the Royal Rumble because she's facing Oscar on that show, right? Yeah, that's right. I mean, she could still enter it afterwards. You, I mean, you never know with WWE what's going to yeah, happen. So, I mean, you could end up with the, you know, the champion versus champion show down the way you outlined it. Then the winner of the Royal Rumble becomes the, the third person. Sure. Sure. Yeah. All right. I've been thinking about this the whole podcast. You said a couple of wing places. I got you here, man. All right. I'm going to get you for three spots, no matter where you are. If you're in the North Towns, 
I'm going to recommend Audubon North. Great place to have wings. If you're central, like that West Seneca area, Ebenezer Ale House is a really good spot. And if you're in the South, South Buffalo, 911 Tavern, best wings in Western New York, in my opinion, you're not going to like anything about the place until the wings are on the table. The bar, underwhelming. Everything about it is underwhelming until you get the food. It's it's just the best. I know everyone says Duff's, Anchor Bar, Barville. Those are all good places, but I'm telling you, those are the three spots, man. You can't go wrong with those. All right. Sounds good. I got. I, I wrote that down. I'll, 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 be, I'll begin my journey. <laughs> good stuff, man. All right, guys. Give Josh a follow on Twitter at ByJoshBarnett. Make sure to support the Buffalo News. Society still needs good newspapers. And the Buffalo News is a great newspaper. Always will be. Thanks, Josh. This was fun, man. You're a good dude. I'm glad that I've gotten to know you over this past year. It was a pleasure having you on the show today. No, I appreciate the opportunity and, you know, happy to come back again. All right, he's been on a drinking hiatus for the past handful of weeks up in Buffalo. So there hasn't been any running with Joe segments, but Joe, Buffalo wins on Twitter. If you're on Twitter, give him a follow. He returns. He's back home in Queens or wherever the hell it is that within that big city you live. What's up, man? How's that liver doing? Because it seemed to me from Facebook statuses and tweets that it kind of took a beating in Buffalo over the holidays. Yeah, my liver definitely uh, lost a couple of rounds uh, while home. I was, I think I was home for about four weeks and uh, it was good times. It's a lot of drinking, not as much drinking as I used to, used to, man. Like it's still a lot, but not like, I don't know how, how much you drank, like when you go back home or even like during your prime drinking years, because, you know, I'm pushing 40 almost. And I probably went out to drink, I would say maybe two, three times a week. You know, I would say is when I kind of went out and I had like four or five beers. Uh, I got I definitely got fucked up the Friday before I came back. So that one that was definitely like and I'll go on a tangent about that very quickly. I'm going to give you a hot take right off the bat. Are you ready? Let's go. Fuck Jim Stakeout. What? Which one did you hold on? Whoa, 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 whoa. Which one did you go to? Because that matters. Which one? Okay, the one in Allen. Oh, really? See, now that's an original. Elaborate. Now I'm interested. Go ahead. If you okay, would have said West Seneca, okay. I would have said, yeah, but give me, I want to hear. As I've told you before, I come from a pizzeria background. I worked at a pizzeria from 1993 to 2002. My parents owned the pizzeria for 20 years. That's where I worked at. So I'm very, I look at everything when it comes to subs. I know what's, what good subs are supposed to look like in Buffalo. And my, I went to Jim Stakeout twice and next day I was sick. Like, and, and part of it may have been the alcohol. But like it was just it just didn't resonate with me. And then it wasn't that good. And also, I think it's completely over fucking price. Like I got a chicken finger sub for 14 fucking dollars. Yeah, it's not cheap. My uncle still owns pizzerias and his chicken finger sub is like seven, eight dollars. OK, fourteen dollars. at like three in the morning. I mean, come on. And also the, the weight was ridiculous. Like I'm talking like waiting for the food to get done. Like, look, to make chicken fingers, it's one of those things where you could just fry like 15 at once and just go fry in 15 like it takes about seven minutes 
or so to, to cook chicken fingers. I know that for a fact, okay? Unless they fucking got their fingers from fucking their chicken from, like, the, the, the Garden of Eden or whatever the fuck. Like, it shouldn't take that long. But I just... I don't know, man. I don't think it's that good there. I'm a big, I'm big on vegetables when it comes to my subs. Like I want like really good lettuce, really good tomatoes, like stuff like that. I'm big on that veggie stuff. And then like, they don't really, the vegetables were not that good. I I just, I don't know. I don't think it's that great. (laughs) Well, now that you have officially ruined any chance I've ever had of having Jim Steakhouse as a sponsor, how are the craft beers up here in Buffalo, man? I know you're a craft beer guy and this is where me and you our worlds apart different. Let me ask you one question, totally. all right? Because do- down here in Florida, there's a bar, I think it's called the Oak and Stone, all right? Now, I I go, I drink drafts, bro. I drink Bud Light, Mick Ultra, Coors Light, all the shit that you probably hate. I have this rule. I ain't paying more than, say, maximum three fifty for a draft, and I don't care. <laughs> I don't care where I am. I'm not doing it. But here was my question you I wanted to ask you. Suck. They you'll, had, you'll pay you'll pay fifteen dollars for Jim's Steakout, but you won't pay more than three dollars for a fucking beer. Okay, exactly. Yes, That's exactly continue. exactly. Yeah. Let me let me ask you this, and then we'll get into the actual topics of our show here today. I always power rank chicken wings when I'm in Buffalo. What's your top five breweries? From Buffalo. I'm not talking about New York. Buffalo, mm-hmm. New York. You've been to enough of them now. Power rank them for me. Give me your top I'm gonna five. Pop, wait, hold on. We'll power rank in one second. I want to go back to why you hate craft beer in general. Like, okay, I, I kind of think of you, and I, I, I'm going to, you know, not to embarrass you. You're a hardcore drinker. Like, you know, you, you come from be. Buffalo. Well, you used to be, yes. But, like, the thing about craft beer that's better than regular beer is it's, it tastes better, and it's a lot stronger. Okay, like what the what's how much you 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 get a Michelob Ultra fucking what's Michelob Ultra? You need probably like seven of those to like give you a buzz. <laughs> Crap, you can get an IPA that has like seven eight percent alcohol in it, and you have like two of them, and you're feeling good, and it tastes way better. That's what you, that, that's where you don't understand with the money element of it. Yeah, it's expensive, but you're getting more because you're paying more. It's it's there's no chance you can compare a fucking Michelob Ultra, a Bud Light. Or something like that to like a craft beer. Like I'm just cheap with certain shit, man. I, I'm not paying seven dollars for a pint of beer. It's just not going to happen. And I don't like those beers. I mean, I tried a few here and there. It's not like I refuse to even try a craft beer. But ultimately, mm. at the end of the day, I end up liking a craft beer that tastes the most like a lager, like a light beer to begin with. And then it's the only difference is instead of paying three dollars for a Bud Light, I'm paying six fucking fifty because it says whatever town we're in, you know, this whatever homemade beer. Six fifty. Get out of here, man. That's not for me, right. bro. Not for me. All right. Give I me think a, you're going. Give me wrong, a couple... I think you're going to the wrong places. Okay, right, you, you buried you buried Jim Stakeout. So now let's plug a couple of Buffalo's top breweries yeah. in your mind. We can, Go ahead. we can try to get them as sponsors too. Okay. So my so overall, let me just kind of paint you a quick, quick picture of the Buffalo brew scene. I do like the Buffalo brew scene. Uh, there's, I think, if you if someone gives you money, Pat, and they're like, "Hey, Pat Moran." Here's like here's like a million dollars. Go open something. I would open a brewery in Buffalo because they're popping up everywhere. It's just, you know, it's 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 the perfect recipe because Buffalo has always been, in my opinion, like the the city where it's like, hey, it's all about like privately owned places, family oriented places, and that's what and that's what craft beer is. It's all like privately owned, you know, mom and pop places, blah blah blah. And of course, the other part of it is like. Everyone likes to fucking get hammered and drink and do all that stuff. So that's why I would say to you, like, it is a booming scene. My top five, I would definitely go with Community Beer Works as number one, which they just opened a lo- location right on the west side, right by my, where my one friend Tim lives. That's where I had my shitty experience with Jim Steakout. 
they're great. They just opened that spot. Their beers are always good. They have a lot of different variety of beers, which is good because if we go to a brewery, one thing you're always going to see, they're always going to have a bunch of IPAs. And I like IPAs, but I don't need seven to ten different IPAs. Give me a stout. Give me a blonde. Give me a freaking amber ale. Give me something unique. They're number one. Number two, Gene McCarthy's. They're in the first ward yep. and like, you know, yeah, they're awesome. I love that place. It's a, it's kind of like a pub dive bar area, but the food is awesome there. And the beer has always been good. I did not go there this time around, which kind of pissed me off uh, that I missed going there. So I got to go there in the summer when I come back, that's number two, uh, three through three through five is it's interchangeable. It depends on the mood of the day. I would probably go with Woodcock Brewery, which is all the way in Niagara, like in, in like Wilson, basically, which I guess you could say that's not really Buffalo, but fuck you. I'm, I'm, inclu- I'm including that. They have gr- a great IPA there. They also have brick oven pizza. They have they do a beef on wet pizza, which is fucking phenomenal. And for me to put over pizza in Buffalo, which I usually don't put pizza over in Buffalo that often, it's really good. That That's number three. Four, I would go with probably Resurgence. I mean, they're kind of like an original. I've been there. Brewery. I've been there. Yeah. On Niagara they have, Street. Yes. They have some good brewers. And five, I would probably do Big Ditch. But again, Big Ditch is, is they, they that's like more in the downtown area. I like their stuff. Uh, but that's like my top five. I mean, there's other one. There's like 42 North, which is really good. And that's, but that's like in Hamburg area, like down there. Uh, there's Thin Man. I l- used to like Thin Man and I had it again when I came back and I don't know, I had like three or four beers and it just didn't taste well. And I've, I've known a couple of people, beer friends who have said that it's kind of fallen off a little bit. So, all right, man, good stuff. Let's transition after having a 10 minute beer chat here in a gym stakeout rant. Let's transition into the Sabres because you did get to go to the arena a few times to check out Sabre games. The team's struggling now. We'll get into that in a minute, but that aside, what was the vibe like at Keybank Center when you were there? Well, I actually, so I went there three times and they won all three times I went there. So well, I was you need to start going more then. Yeah, seriously. Um, this both all three times was the first time, and I'm not trying to be a baller over here, but the, it was the first time I sat in the 200s, which is like the middle of the arena, which is like, I don't know if you ever sat in the 200s before, yeah. but basically, oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, they got the bar in there and then they, they serve you drinks at the, at the, uh, at your seats. Uh, but the vibe was great. I mean, every game was pretty electric. They won, obviously. They were all good games in terms of, like, them really kicking ass. I think I was there for the New Jersey game when they uh, they won 5-1 to one and they scored five second-period goals. I was there for the Florida game and they scored, like, four goals. And then the Anaheim game, they scored three. So it was it was pretty electric there. It was, it was crowded. I mean, it's always crowded during the holidays, more or less, than it is probably – you know, during the regular, like during like, you know, February or March or something like that. Um, the thing I came away with, honestly, is like the 200s. You know, we're talking all about this like arena stuff. Like, you know, are the Sabres going to get in? You know, what should they do like with that arena? Like we, you know, rebranded or whatever. Same with the Bill Stadium. I'll say this. The 200s are not that great. Like I've been to like I've been to City Field. I've been to MSG. I've been to where the Brooklyn Nets play. And like the food there is like on par. It's great. And this is like the most, the 200s are like the expensive level, you know, and they, I don't know, I had a couple of food items there and it was okay. I, it didn't blow my socks off. And I've talked to other people who kind of feel the same way, like when it comes to the food at, at the uh, arena, but the, you know, the overall though, the, it was, they were fun games. I was glad to, to kind of have the 200 seats. I kind of got, I got them for free, all three of them. So I'm, I'm a, I'm, I got connections, you know, so what can I say? 
<laughs> well, at least you got to see three wins. We're taping this segment late in the Wednesday. Buffalo Sabres are playing at Calgary. We can't talk about that game because we don't know how that's going. But regardless of whether they win or lose that, this is a team that now is struggling badly in a major way. John Vogel from The Athletic pointed out a few stats. I want to share this to that point and how and why they've been so bad lately. They're just 1-7-2 in their last 10 road games, not counting again the Calgary game, which we don't know about. And before that, the Sabres were winning close games earlier this season. They were 10-0-2 at one point, and they're just 2-5-4 since. How nervous are you right now that this team is on the verge of going off the rails, falling off the cliff, you know, the same cliches we had, tire fire, the same things that we end up saying about this team every year. How nervous are you right now? Oh, I'm I'm nervous. I, I don't know what's going on right now. I mean, I do know what's going on with them. I mean, they're not winning the close games like they did in the beginning of the year, like Vogel said. They won those games because, you know, aside from, I think the first line is still playing well. Uh, they're still getting production from, their, from them, though. But then you have the blue line hasn't been as effective when it comes to scoring, which I think that was a big part of their little winning streak, like the blue line was scoring a lot. And I don't think they're getting as, as good of goaltending as they got at that point. I am panicking because, you know, it sucks. It's, 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 in a way, it's a, it feels a little bit like the Bills when the Bills, like, made the playoffs. And I always say, like, you know, it, it kind of sucked in a way because you would think, like, oh, making the playoffs means – the next part is going to be better. You know what I mean? Like you're going to take the next step. And like the, and, and, and the bills didn't obviously like they kind of, you know, we re- reloaded or whatever the hell you want to go to the rebuilding from this past year, the Sabres, they have this 10 game winning streak. You think, Oh shit, like, here we go. They're going to start. They're going to be in the conversation in the top five. And all of a sudden they're on the outside looking in. They're not even in the playoffs as we tape this. They so, were number one yeah, in the NHL at one point. They were, they literally yeah. were number one in the NHL in points at, at some point. I don't know. I kind of felt trained as a Buffalo sports guy to don't get too excited during that winning streak, even yeah. when they're at top. Cause it's like this team they're I'm not saying they're bad, but they weren't that good. And you kind of knew it. You kind of, felt I got, this I got, I, I, I was drinking the Kool-Aid. I remember when we did a pot, like maybe the podcast we did like in November, I was totally like, oh, yeah, they're making the playoffs. I remember you were kind of like, you really think so? And I'm like, oh, yeah, they're making. And I and you were right. You know, that's for the first time in your hockey life. But like I was I was the reason why I thought that was I was so happy that they were doing this, you know, because the Sabres have been the Sabres have been like the Bills, like the last like eight, nine years. They've just been boring. Like, you know, there's nothing nothing good has really come of it aside from like, you know, oh, well, we we won the tank or whatever the fuck, you know. Nothing else has really come of it, and that's and it's kind of frustrating to when you when you see them do well, you get you get wrapped into it really quickly because you want you haven't felt it in a while and you want to believe. And I was on so many different text exchanges with people going, "Oh, they're good now, like this is going to be great," and now it's like, "Great, they suck again." And you know, I don't I don't know what the deal is, but they're it's not looking good. Well, let me ask you this, and then we'll move on to the Bills. If the Sabres fail to make the playoffs, okay, they had a 10-game winning streak. They, again, they spent time on top of the standings. If they end up failing to make the playoffs, does the firing of Phil Housley become a conversation that's legitimately worth happening? Because my view is this. Either they got incredibly lucky that they were winning earlier in the season, or the the coach is not keeping this team ready and focused to play every night. I know the goaltending has dropped off and that definitely has a lot to do with it. Secondary scoring continues to be a problem. But my point is either they were getting lucky to win these games or Phil Housley, what he's doing, he's doing something that's not working because 
They're losing, and they're losing in droves now. So to go from the top of the NHL to being on the outside looking in in the playoffs, do you think that Phil Housley's firing is at least a conversation worth happening at the end of the season? Yeah, I would say so. I mean, and, and this is the, the main reason why. If you can get better at coaching, then yeah. Like, And look, there are some coaches out there, like Quinville, the guy who won in Chicago, won three freaking cups. Like I would, if he wants to come here and I would, I would say he's probably a better coach than Housley. Now, with that being said, I, I don't put Housley like in the top five of why this team is like struggling right now, or if they miss. Yeah, I don't either yet. I don't either yet, but he's getting close, man. He's getting close. Yeah. I mean, Twitter hates him. I'll I'll tell you that much. Twitter seems to hate him. Um, And the media loves him. Yeah. The media really does love him. I don't know what the, he must. Yeah. They, they definitely like him a lot. Like definitely people on the beat definitely like him, but like, um, he's done some weird things with the line combinations, which everyone freaking does like, you know, for the most part and like who plays, who sits, you know, we could always second guess that, but I, I do believe, look, the talents, the talent really isn't there. And that's what, that's the problem. Like after you look, Casey Middlestad, God bless his soul. He is not a second line center, right? No, not yet. And he's not, and maybe he will be, I don't know. But like right now they're, they're, he's not, he's not, he's not that guy. He should probably be right now on the third or fourth line, you know, right now, maybe even in Rochester to get like more experience or whatever the case may be. I mean, actually not Rochester. I don't want to say that, but like he should, he shouldn't be your second line center right now. And then you have other guys like Pominville, Oposo, you know, those guys, Oposo, I don't know what the hell happened to him. He just has fallen off the face of the earth, you know, in the last two years, but they just don't have, that much talent. I'll say this though, you know, the big conversation that's been kind of going around about them is what they, sh- what they, sh- what should they do at the deadline? I am all in, I'm not in on getting rentals per se, but I'm all in. If you want to trade draft picks for like guys who are in their like, you know, prime or guys who are like two, who are two years into their contract. We'll just say, you know, I'm not going to get into this. Like, Oh, we can't trade draft picks. Like, fuck that. Look, if you look at the draft picks, if you look at the way teams are made, in the NHL, it's kind of a crapshoot when you get outside of the top 10, you know, and, the, and the, the picks the Sabres have with the Sharks and Blues, I'm pretty sure they're going to be outside of the top 10. And at that point, it's like, look, get guys who are ready, you know, go go to teams that are like against the cap, get guys who are in like, you know, towards like, you know, upper 20s at least and get guys here. I don't want to I'm not going to sit here and just I, I'm done with like relying on like the Rochester pipeline of guys to like save this franchise. I have sat here for eight years and have seen horrible hockey. And I've seen people point to like, oh, the Grigorenkos, the Gergensons, the, the Doroffs, the, you know, Larsons, all these guys, Tyler Ennis, like all of these young guys, like, oh, they're the franchise. They're going to, they're going to save us. And they end up not doing anything here. I'm done waiting too. There's no reason for this team to not make the playoffs this year based on what they showed us that they could do earlier. If I'm Jason Bottero, I'm making a trade and I'm making a trade soon. Doesn't necessarily have to be a blockbuster, but I want to move. I want some form of, of roster shakeup to to let this team know that, hey, man, well, I'll make a move. If you're not playing, I'll get your ass out of here. We'll talk about mm-hmm. them in the coming weeks. Maybe they'll turn it around. They're on the West Coast right now. Then there's the All-Star game, and then they'll be home for like fucking nine years. They got like 9,000 home games in a row. <laughs> Let's talk Bills, all right? Lorenzo Alexander on Wednesday signed a one-year deal. There's no drama. I don't think there ever was any drama, but that's not something that's going to play out at all. So he's back. As of right now, the Bills only have six unrestricted free agents left. And you can make a case that Jordan Phillips, who's a backup defensive tackle, he's probably the only one that the team may have any type 
of uh, priority to try to bring back. The others are Ryan Groy, John Miller, Jordan Mills, Taiwan Jones, and Deontay Thompson. Translation, this is going to be one very, very busy offseason in Buffalo. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 going to be the big, it's, I don't want to say it's going to be bigger than last year because they had to get the quarterback. It has to be, like, though. But it's 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 up. Well, look, the quarterback, I think, is oh, sure. But right. It's, There's no one player. Last year was about getting the guy. You're right, right. Right. This year is about getting a shitload of guys because they got a shitload yeah. of cap room and they got a shitload of holes to fill and not a lot of guys that are their own that are even worth bringing back. Yeah. I mean, this is this is they they got the cap money. It's going to be tough, man. Like I'm, I'm this is going to be. This is going to be Brandon Bean's offseason, man. Like, I mean, even though it was kind of like last year, but this is where we're going to see Make them build break. a football sure. team. Yep. Yeah, this is when they're going to build a football team because they have all this cap room. I don't, you know, they, they keep giving like mixed signals like the Bills. Like when Brandon Bean talks about free agency, he kind of talks about it like it's it's very bad. Like this, But like if you look at it, like the Bills were pretty, the Bills were pretty active last year in free agency when you consider how much they were against the cap. You know, all we heard about them was, complaining about dead cap money and last year you know they they pay trent murphy 30 million they play starla 2850 uh they gave some guys some decent deals so i don't i think they're going to be pretty active i don't know how big but like I'm, I'm curious to see what they do because this is this is going to be this season coming up i don't think and there's if you read the tea leaves a little bit from like guys who covered the bills and i'll, I'll specifically say sal Sal Capaccio has said basically on his sh- on when he's done spots with GR that there has to be like an eight nine win like team next year. Oh, and he yeah. kind of he kind of insi- he kind of threw in there a little bit like yeah you know he they have to do that or there's going to be changes or repercussions we'll just say and I think some people have it in their mind like McBean like McDermott and Bean have it to where they're they're sold for at least another two years and he kind of ins- and I'm putting words in his mouth so my apologies but he did kind of make it out like they better be good this year. Or like eight nine wins, or it's going to be happy yeah. trails a little bit, but or a separation. Who knows between the two? But yeah, one more Bills item: betting odds on Antonio Brown's trade destination. I mean, it's pretty obvious that Pittsburgh is going to trade him this offseason. That dropped on Wednesday, and the Bills were third. Actually, they were the third biggest favorite to land Antonio Brown after San Francisco and the New York Jets. Antonio Brown to the Bills four and a half to one right now. That Pittsburgh trades him to Buffalo, assuming that they trade him anywhere. Jerry Rice says that Brown wants to play in San Francisco really bad, by the way. But anyway, Buffalo, four and a half to one. Do you see a realistic scenario where Antonio Brown could be a Buffalo Bill next year? I don't think so. Would it be fun, though? Yes, I would totally. I would make the call. Look, I don't. Here's here's the thing. Everyone kind of talks about like trying to figure out what's what type of guy McDermott wants, like the McDermott guys, McDermott guys who eat, sleep and, sh- and shit football or whatever the case may be. You know, I, I look at LaShawn McCoy and I, I, I don't see a choir boy with LaShawn McCoy. I see a guy who's who got a, his his crew got arrested once for beating up cops. He had that shit. That stuff happened over the summer with his ex-girlfriend. He's kind of definitely like a post, uh, you know, a polarizing guy. And he's on the team, and they're going to keep him on the team when I think it's it's very debatable, you know, if they should trade him or cut him or whatnot. But they keep him on the team, even though these things off the field are there. And I'm not saying these things are like, you know, like the the the, the cops thing he got cleared for, and who knows what's going to happen with this 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 his ex. But 
they're keeping this guy who's had issues. And like, are you gonna like look at Antonio Brown? You're gonna he's got some off the field issues, but like here's McCoy who's had off the field issues. Here's Richie Incognito who was here, a guy who got kicked out of the freaking league basically, and they kept him here. So it's very it's hard for me to figure out what what the McDermott type of guy is. I tend to think the McDermott guy is someone who comes in there, works hard, studies, and he's there every day, and that's. And I don't think he cares what you do off the field as long as you don't get in trouble. Like the guy they just signed from the CFL, that guy was like a it was an idiot. he was what he, yeah he was an idiot like at, at in college like that's why he got he getting in trouble he got in trouble all the time and like here he is he's here now so like is that is that does that go into his whole culture stuff when he's bringing in someone who got in trouble in college? So I don't know I could see him here. I mean if if it's if, as long as. As long as you're not messing up and you're coming in late, which I think that's that's what happened with Darius. Like he did, he came in late and they were like, "Yeah, you're gone. You're overpaid." Bye. If they like you as a football player, as a talent, and you're there on time, I think they'll they'll make a run at anyone. You know, whether it's it's Brown or Le'Veon Bell or whoever. That's I think they care more about winning, you know, than it is to have like this whole like, oh, we got to have like good Samaritans and, and that sort of stuff. Like just be there on time, I guess is what I'm saying. But do I see them going after him? I don't think so, but it wouldn't shock me. And I would totally, if I were them, I would definitely make the call. Look, I don't care what they do. I mean, I do care what they do last off season, but my big thing is get me offensive weapons. I don't care. I don't care what character issues they have or whatever. If they can play, get them here. I don't want to hear about defensive tackle, defensive end, getting a second cornerback. I don't even want to hear about offensive line. That's how and you can you can sell me on offensive line. But I want to hear about tight ends. I want to hear about wide receivers. I want to hear about a second another running back. I want to hear about skilled players. I want fantasy football players on this roster. And if it's Antonio Brown, LeVon Bell, or AJ Green or whoever, like get them here. I'll tell you what, man. <laughs> I don't think Brandon Bean's afraid to take a chance on Antonio Brown. I don't necessarily I think he might have a say in where he gets traded. So I don't know that he has wants to come to Buffalo, but I don't think Brandon Bean's afraid to take a chance. I'll tell you what, he's the best receiver in the NFL. I'd give up a second rounder for him. And if I'll tell you I this much, I'll go, first. I'll, no, I won't give up that ninth pick. No way. Well, Not well, happening. well, cool. well that won't happen. I promise you. That well, wait, happen. the Dallas, what's, what's the Dallas guy? The guy from, 20, from Oakland. Amari Cooper. I don't care. It's not happening. Okay. Well, Cooper is not better than Antonio Brown. And he got a first. So yeah, just, but they, they set, that's a late first. They set, not a top they 10 pick. The There's no All way. Right. He's 31 years old. Cooper's like yeah, seven yeah. years younger. There's no way. But sure. I would offer a second round, maybe a second and a fifth or a conditional or something like that. The guy's the best receiver right now in the NFL, and he probably will be for, yeah, I think he's under contract for three more years. So if you get two, <laughs> two all-pro years and then he falls off a little bit in the third, I still make that deal. Because I'll tell you right now, if this team did land Antonio Brown, and I don't think they will for the record. I think they're going to show some interest, but I don't think it's ultimately going to happen. I could see them going to San Francisco or the Jets. But if they were, yeah. I'm telling you right now, the Bills would become a chic pick to become a playoff team in 2019. I guarantee it. I hope it's a conversation we get to have because it's, that's yeah, the playmaker. Do you want a playmaker? Eh, it, it doesn't get better than Antonio Brown. Yeah, it's going to be it's going to be super interesting because like I said, I, I've been trying to think about like, how do you sell the bills to these players, these free agents, when you have, you know, you've got San Francisco with a lot of cap room. They have a quarterback. I mean, I don't want to say he's proven. Garoppolo's, I mean, we, he's only played 10 games, but like you got them, you got the Jets, you got the Colts. 
And those are like the th- and you got the Bills. Those are like the four teams that have like a ton of money, and everyone says they're going to be active. And it's it's tough for me. Like, how does Buffalo beat those teams? Like, I'd rather go play with I'd rather go play with luck, and probably I'd rather go play in New York, and I pro- in, in San Francisco. Like, you know, the location. You always think like the location and who you're around and who you're playing with. You know what I mean? I hate to shit on Buffalo, but I'm going to a little bit. But like, you know, I I would. I would rather play with Andrew Luck sure. or live in New York or San Francisco Agreed. than play than live in Buffalo. And then you have a, a rookie quarterback who was okay this year, but like, you know, he's not Andrew Luck, you know, I agree. I'm telling you this right now though. I'm, the quarterback room is set for 2019. They got the starter. They got the backups that's set everything else. When you factor in the bills cap room that they had the ninth pick, everything, literally everything else is on the table whether they go on to get a big-time wide receiver, which probably would have to be through trade because there's no free agent that's an instant number one. There's a couple guys on the offensive line that they can go after. Shit, man. They could take, I'm not saying they're going to or that they should, but they could take a run at Le'Veon Bell. Mm-hmm. They could get rid of McCoy. They could get rid of McCoy. They could save $6.5 million if they cut him. All right? So that could happen. I don't care what he says about LaShawn McCoy in January. They said that Tyrod Taylor was going to be the Buffalo Bills quarterback in last January, and he got traded before the draft. So that's on the table. Anything's on the table. The secondary, don't tell me that if the, a great corner is on the board at nine, that they won't pick a corner in the first round. It, it could happen. They could go defensive yeah. line. They could. There's this. Everything is on the table for the Buffalo Bills short of the quarterback position. That's why it's going to be an entertaining offseason. If nothing else, it definitely gives us something to look forward to over these next three, four, five months. That's for yeah, sure. and the one and the one good thing too, and what could be like the difference between those other teams, Pagula money may come into come into play because with this sort of stuff, you know how Kirk Cousins got like the eighty million guaranteed. Yep, that's like he's giving that eighty million to that guy automatically, and like Pagula could do that sort of stuff. Sure. Whereas I don't I don't know if the other owners like are into that. You know what I mean when it comes to oh yeah, I'll, I'll pay fifty million guaranteed. Like Pagula would if he wanted him to. So. Normally, as we wind this down, you hit your finisher. But before I get to that, dude, I'm going through Twitter right now, and I just saw something that's interesting to me. Shout out Happy Days. 45 years ago this week, that show debuted. For me, and I'm bringing this up right now because for me personally, that show was probably a top fiver all time for me, maybe even top three. What about you? I know you're not quite as old as me, but you are pushing 40. You've probably at least seen the reruns. Were you a Happy Days fan or no? Nope, not at all. You're, like, a, you're the sister, fucking worst, dude. Yeah, my sister loved it, though. I mean, she's older. She loved Happy Days in the Fonz. I had never watched any Happy Days oh, episodes ever. God, you're killing me, I don't me, know bro. why I didn't. I just, I never, I, I never did. Like, when it came to reruns as a kid, I watched Brady Bunch, Gilligan's Island. Uh, Gilligan's Island, Brady Bunch, they were, like, the big ones. Yeah, like, you know, and then there's Alf, Full House, Family Matters, yeah, all those sitcoms. Shit. But, like, ah. I'm telling you, dude, I, I think Happy Days might be three. The Office is definitely one. And, and I think the Sopranos are two for me. After that, I might have Happy Days as three. All right, you're not a Happy Days guy, but before you hit your finisher, I'm going to put you on the spot right now. Give me your top three to five shows. Like I said, for me, it's The Office, The Sopranos, and Happy Days. What do you got? Oh, we're talking all time? Oh, yeah. I, I'm going. Game of Thrones, by the way, one more thing. Game of Thrones is probably my top five. And with a good final season, that could easily move in ahead of Happy Days in the top three. Game of Thrones, Sopranos, Breaking Bad. Hmm. You know, one last thing I forgot, and then we do got to hit your finisher here. Give me your Sunday picks. I never even asked you. Real quick here. Who do you got? Who's going to the Super Bowl? 
I, I'm going Chiefs Rams. Nice. Yeah, I'm I gonna think... go. You know what? Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna do this exact. I got the exact same thing, man. Chiefs Rams. I agree with you. Okay, then the, the, well, don't bet There's on us. There's nothing to debate. I agree with you. All right, bro, hit us off. Time in this segment. What do you got? What's your finisher? All right. Well, well, Pat, I'm not I'm not really an athlete. Uh, I've never played sports in my life, but I can assume that if you are a professional athlete or an amateur athlete, you always have these visions of the, of you know winning championships and like what happens afterwards. You get you have a parade. You you get the trophy ceremony. You get the ring. You get to go to all these places in in, your, in the city that you want a, ch- a title in and. And, you know, eat for free, drink for free, get to hook up with as many girls as you possibly want. And then the other thing is you get to go to the White House and see the president. And I grew up remembering when I would watch SportsCenter and I would see teams go to the White House. I remember when, like, Ronald Reagan, like, threw a pass to Gary Clark in, like, the, the Rose Garden or whatever the heck that garden is outside of the White House. I remember when, like baseball teams are going to see George Bush and he would show them his baseball card because he used to play baseball back in the 60s or whatever. Obama, you know, doing his thing with players. And this week we had to see freaking Donald Trump serve national champions, Clemson Tigers, fast food. I'm sorry. I still like two days later cannot get over how horrible that was. And I don't care what side of the political pendulum you are like Republican, Democrat, whatever. That just has to be a nasty kick in the nuts for an athlete to go in there thinking, I'm going to have this gourmet food, lobsters. We're going to sleep in the Lincoln bedroom. No, you have a freaking Whopper to eat or French fries, and it's cold. I mean, I would, I was just blown away that this happened. And it was all because of politics, and like he wanted to show people, all, like, oh, the government shut down, so I had to buy these people food. And like for him to buy... the fast food for football players and again they're on diets they eat protein they have they have nutritionists they're not going to mcdonald's to eat and you feed them fast food you couldn't even you two for three dollars or whatever the heck he did for like on the mcdonald's menu or whatever you couldn't even go to like a decent catering place to pay for their food i swear to you there's there's days where I am not as hard on the Bills or Sabres that I normally am because I see this crap and I'm like, my God, that that is my purpose in life is to be angry at that. And I feel bad for those players. And, you know, I, I, I hope when they become professionals, they get to go to the White House again with, a, you know, if they're champions and get to eat lobster. And for those poor kids who ne- are never going to make the pros, you know, I'm sorry, man. It's it's, you know. It sucks for them. All right, that is a wrap for this episode. Big thank you again to Josh Barnett, executive sports editor of the Buffalo News for joining today. I enjoyed listening to him and his version of everything that happened at the Buffalo News last year. Some of the new hires they have, the direction that the newspaper is going in. Enjoyed hearing about his career, of course, wrestling talk. So appreciate you, Josh. Thanks as well to Joe, the triumphant return of the Running With Joe segment after being gone for about a month. 
Not sure how you feel about Joe's rant about Jim's stakeout or his love of craft beers or, of course, his Donald Trump rant. But we did manage to squeeze some Bills and Sabres talk in there. So that was cool. Thanks a lot, Joe. Guys, if you haven't done so already, I invite you to subscribe to this podcast. It's quick. It's easy. It's completely free. The benefit of subscribing to the podcast is that once you do, new episodes automatically get sent directly to your phone or computer within mere minutes of the release. I usually have a new show every Tuesday and Friday. If you have an iPhone or an iPad, you just simply pull out your phone, open up that Apple podcast app that's sitting there, type in Moranalytics podcast under search, hit the subscribe button, bam, literally, that's it. That's all you got to do. By the way, bonus points for five-star ratings. If iPhones or iPads are not your thing, or if you prefer to get your podcast elsewhere, you can also hit us up on Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Spotify, pretty much anywhere future award-winning podcasts are found. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter for updates, news, podcast polls, God knows what else. You could do that over at Pat Moran Tweets. Have a good weekend. If you're up in Buffalo or anywhere up in that Northeast for that matter, stay safe and warm. I'll catch you on the flippity flip. Bye.